On today's episode of Attention Alva, we'll be speaking with a phenomenal leader and a Latino veteran advocate and a dear personal friend. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss this episode. And hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Attention Alpha, the podcast for the American Latino Veterans Association. We're really excited to have you join us today. I'm your host, Danny Vargas, chairman and CEO of Alva. In addition to these podcasts where you can get to hear from incredibly inspiring guests, you'll also have a series of webinars where you'll learn great information on really important topics. And keep an eye out for future events, including our annual Expo and Awards reception in Washington, D.C. on November 1st of 2023. We really want to thank our sponsors for these podcasts and webinars, J.P. Morgan Chase, PMI, Wells Fargo, AT&T, T-Mobile, and Accenture. I'm really pleased to introduce our guest speaker today, Roy Love. Hi, Roy. How you doing, Danny? Great doing to be great. here. Thanks for joining us. Let me tell you a little bit about Roy. Captain Roy Love, U.S. Navy retired, was born in the Dominican Republic and moved to the United States in 1983. In 1983, he graduated from the State University of New York, SUNY, uh, Maritime College with a BS in Maritime Transportation. He attended the Navy War College in Newport, Rhode Island, earning a Master's of Arts in National Security and Strategic Studies in 2008. He deployed to Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2008 to support the Army's 304th uh, Sustainment Brigade, managing and distributing fuel across Iraq to support U.S. and Allied forces. He commanded the uh, fast frigate USS Boone in June of 2010, and led the ship to win the Battle Efficiency Award. Captain Love is the first Dominican and Afro-Latino to command a U.S. Na naval warship. He, he completed his tour on uh, the Boone in December of 2011 and assumed command of uh, a float training group, uh, Mayport in Jacksonville, in charge of training all naval vessels in Southeast United States. He commanded Naval Base San Diego, the second largest naval base in the United States, and was the first Hispanic Afro-Latino to lead the installation. He led the base in winning the Commander-in-Chief Installation Excellence Award in 2019. He's a certified resilience building leadership professional, trainer, and an authorized training partner dedicated to helping organizations create senior leaders that can build resilient teams, facilitate team learning, and support organizational learning. He is the president of the Association of Naval Services Officers, ANSO. ANSO conducts recruitment and outreach within America's underserved communities, directly supports Hispanic and Latino members in their decision to remain in their respective services and provides mentoring and professional development. He serves on the board of directors as a role model and mentor for Hispanics, inspiring student performance and achievement, HISPA. And he also serves on the advisory council of the American Latino Veterans Association, ALVA and DOD uh, Rhodes Board of Directors. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of the Road Eagle LLC. He is a certified motorcycle safety foundation writer, coach, and motorcycle safety instructor, and an Iron Butt Association, uh, the world's toughest motorcycle riders, long distance and endurance motorcyclists. And hey, I would love to hear the story of uh, your recent trip down in Latin America. Uh, he's the founder and partner of Two Eagles Leadership LLC, a veteran-owned, minority-owned professional development and leadership growth consulting company. Captain Roy Love is a doctorate student at the University of Southern Mississippi, pursuing a PhD in human capital development. My goodness, Roy, that's a massive bio, and it's so good to have you. Thank you for joining us today, Roy. 
Oh, thanks, Daddy, man. I appreciate you reading all of that. You didn't have to. But, you know, the, the, the thing I'm the proudest of is being an iron butt rider. And uh, I just like like I just came back from Chile after riding my motorcycle from Virginia to Chile over 12,000 miles. And it was amazing, incredible. And what a world we live in. And, you know, the number of people from Latin America that I connected with makes me feel good about being Latino, being Hispanic. Just, man, I, I, I don't know. I, I could go on and on about that, but it was an incredible trip. Well, that's fantastic. And I'm sure there's some incredible pictures that you took, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, listen, Roy, why don't you uh, take a couple of minutes first and, and sort of tell us about your, your personal journey. You, you were born in the Dominican Republic, came to New York. Um, but tell us about your path on how you decided to join the Navy and, and your career in the Navy. And then a little bit about what you're doing afterwards. Hey, you know, I was born on an island, right? My dad's family is actually from Puerto Rico. My mom's uh, family all from uh, the Republic Dominicana. And so, you know, being born on an island, I was actually born on the beach. And every day, we, as, a, as a kid, we'd watch the ships come and go. And always on my mind, it was like, man, I want to be out there. I want to be on the ship one day. My favorite shows were The Love Boat and Star Trek. I wanted to be Captain James Kirk, right? <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, The Love Boat and Star Trek were such great shows because of the diversity of the crews. Right? It helped you to see yourself, me as a you know, dark-skinned black Latino, Hispanic Latino. Um, I, I wanted to be one of those guys. I, I said, you know what, that's a possibility for me. I could literally be on something like that. In my entire life, I, I just wanted to be the captain of a ship. Uh, we moved to uh, Puerto Rico when I was about 11. and lived in Puerto Rico a couple of years. Again, being close to San Juan, Santos, I used to deliver newspapers in San Juan. I'd go to the to the port all the time. You see the Coast Guard uh, ships in San Juan because they had the and then uh, Navy ships would come and go, and it was it was a calling for me, right? It was I want to be a captain of a ship one day, and I I really really thought about that when I was going to high school. My brother got accepted to the Naval Academy. I'm in my uh, second year in high school, and I'm like, man, that seems like awesome. He's going to Naval Academy. I should follow. I should follow. But he'd come home and he'd tell me all these bad stories how horrible it was and how hard it was. I was like, I don't want to go to the Naval Academy. You know, lo and behold, I go to high school in New, in uh, Queens and my buddies live in Throg's Neck. You know, and if you know New York, there's a couple of bridges that cross over to Queens and Brooklyn. And uh, one of those is the Whitestone Bridge and the Throg's Neck Bridge. New York Maritime is a school that sits right under the Whitestone Bridge. So as we're driving to college, we look down in my buddy's pink uh, Buick. We look down and we see this big ship in this fort, and it was Fort Schuyler. And if you know anything about Hamilton, Fort Schuyler, the Schuyler sisters, yeah, that's the same Fort Schuyler. Look down, we see this big ship in this fort there, and I'm going, I'm very curious, because I'm like, wow, there's a fort and a ship. Is that a school? I figured out it was SUNY Maritime. And I, I made my entire mission in life to go to SUNY Maritime. I wanted to go to school in the Bronx, at a fort, to learn how to drive ships. And that's what I did. I got out of high school, I couldn't afford college, so I, I fortunately went to one of the best, better high schools in New York City, and uh, I had good grades. I got an ROTC scholarship, but they wanted me to go to prep school. So I enlisted to go to prep school. They held my spot at SUNY Maritime because I didn't want to go. I had a full scholarship to a couple of schools, including Ohio, which I didn't know where it was, right? I'm from New York City. Where the hell is Ohio? And, uh, and I was like, no way. I'm going to SUNY Maritime. And I, I communicated with the school. I said, the Navy's going to pay me to go to college, you guys got to hold my spot. And sure enough, they hold my spot. I spent 14 months enlisted. 
went through a prep school, got my math and my science and uh, physics, all done, took English, did it really, really well, went to SUNY Maritime, four years at the State University of New York, paid by the U.S. government, uh, and walked out of there uh, with a license to be a third mate on the ship. It's one step closer to being a captain and a commission in the U.S. Navy. Uh, again, I didn't have to go to uh, Annapolis and suffer through the stuff. SUNY Maritime was an outstanding school. It was pseudo-military. That first year was horrible, but the next few, three years, it was like you're on your own, right? You're wearing uniform, but you're not doing all the things that these other young men do. Uh, loved being enlisted for those 14 months. I knew that the, the one thing I wanted to do was be a captain of a ship. You couldn't really go through the enlisted path and become a captain. What I did know was, Danny, that it was going to take 16 years before the Navy let me be the captain of my own ship. Wow. It, yeah, it was a slow 16 years, right? Because to command the ship, you had to be an 05. You had to get through all the wicked. And when, when you're singularly focused on something like that and you make that your mission in life, you will do everything possible to get there, right? Excel at everything that you have to excel. And the day that I took over command of my ship as the captain, it was the happiest day of my life. We were actually in Canada and Quebec. I took over. And uh, man, I tell you what, I was not, I would not trade that experience for anything in the world. And one behold, bonus, the Navy let, lets me go from leading one ship, we did extremely well, to leading an entire group of ships to train all the ships in the Southeast. And that's incredible. And from there, I get to go to uh, the Pentagon and be in charge of modernizing cruisers and destroyers. And then they say, hey, you're going to go command the largest naval base in the world, or you can go to San Diego. Norfolk is the largest naval base in the world. San Diego was the second largest. They gave me the option, Danny. They said, do you want Norfolk or San Diego? And I was like, you know what? Norfolk, Virginia, California. I said, I'll only do it if I get San Diego. And my boss at the time, three-star admiral, says, hey, boy, you're going to San Diego. And wow, incredible. What a career. Um, and what a blessing. And the military has been so good to me, man. I can't complain. How how old were you at that time when you took that command to San Diego? Oh, well, that was 2016. Yeah, from 2016 to 2019. I'm 54 now. <laughs> I do the math. I was less than 50. I was 40-something years old. And, oh, uh, you know, that, that was a running joke. Like, you look too young to be the commander of this place. <laughs> I, like, I always took that the wrong way for some reason. I didn't have the beard at the time. But I got that all the time. You look so young. Why? What are you expecting, an old guy? I don't know. I don't feel old, but yeah. that's awesome. So, uh, of the highlights of your military career, would 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 that those two instances sound like they're the highlights of your career? Commanding San Diego and your first uh, command of a ship. I tell you what, boot camp, <laughs> nineteen eighty eight. Was it nineteen eighty eight? Nineteen eighty eight. I'm in boot camp. That set the tone for everything. I thought boot camp was easy. My old mommy was. Typical Latina, the Caribe, you did something wrong. She was worse than any any drill sergeant you could ever encounter. You know, <laughs> enjoy boot camp, I think about it. Right? There, there was no chancletas in boot camp. There were no chancletas. Yeah, they couldn't hit you. They couldn't <laughs> hit you. It's it incredible. So I would say, you know, being in boot camp really kind of set the tone and helped me kind of understand and say, hey, you know what? This doesn't look so hard. I can do this, right? I went to ROTC unit, and on my third year, they came up to me and said, hey, Roy, we want you to be uh, the battalion commander for ROTC unit. I was like, whoa, okay, cool. 
Now, mind you, new, SUNY Maritime is 90% non, non-people of color, right? It's, it's 90% white. And uh, to be asked to lead the ROTC unit, where there were about three or four of us who weren't of the majority, was incredible. I didn't know that at the time. And looking back, I see all the celebrations of these young students that are being, oh, the first young you know, woman to lead the Citadel, the uh, battalion, the first, you know, um, non, non-white to lead this or that or the other thing. And I go, wow, we didn't celebrate these things back in the uh, early 90s. There were a lot of us that were actually doing things that people were just not noticing or not celebrating, right? And not that I, I wanted to be celebrated, but it, it helps put things in perspective. Like, there's a lot of people before me that... Mm-hmm did the things that we celebrate today that we have never acknowledged or really right. realized. And it's good to tell that story, right? Like talking about Farragut, Admiral Farragut, being the first admiral in the mil- in the Navy who happened to be the kid of a Spanish descendant, mm-hmm. right? And what are Hispanic and Latinos, if not the majority of us, people, you know, of Hispanic, Spanish descent or a culture that is based on, you know, the Spanish culture. That's fascinating. What so what what year did you actually get out? I left in 2021. Um, I was actually independent in uh, uh, working in Washington D.C. And I, honestly, I left for um, under my own terms. I had an opportunity to continue on, do one more year, and implement, put on flag. I was asked to stay so I would be competitive, and I just decided not. I said, you know, I've done a lot, and I've, at that point, I had 34 years, including the four years in the New York Maritime. And mm-hmm. I was ready to be with my family, and I was ready to give back in a different way. Well, thank you for your service, Roy. Uh, it's an incredible career that you had in the military, but uh, you also continue to give back um, as president of ANSO. Uh, so take a couple minutes and, and talk us through what ANSO is, what it does, how we can be supportive of what you're doing with ANSO. And and by the way, it's it's uh, such a great honor to be able to have ANSO as a partner of ALVA. So I, I love the work that we're able to do together. And so do we, Danny. I mean, uh, we couldn't have asked for a better partner than ALVA, also partnering with HBLA and partnering with HISPA, Hispanics Inspiring Student Performance and Achievement. Because ANSO, as the Association of Naval Services Officers, and the Naval Services are the Coast Guard, the Navy, and the Marine Corps, and the Merchant Marine. Uh, the, the U.S. Merchant Marine is very small. So we, we, we're working on that on trying to kind of bring them in a little bit better. But it was established in 1981 by the first Hispanic Secretary of the Navy in the United States. And this was Eduardo Hidalgo. So in 1981, uh, Secretary Hidalgo saw a need. He he saw that Latinos, Hispanics in the service weren't being promoted at the same rates. And that there weren't a lot of Hispanics and Latinos in the higher ranks, in the officer ranks in particular. And he established, he helped a group of officers establish the Association of Services Officers, reached out to the Coast Guard and the Marine Corps to make sure that we were promoting, helping to promote, professionally developed, to promote, and also to recruit and retain, because that's important, right? It's not just bringing people in, you know, that's the recruitment part. It's professionally develop them, develop them and retain them long enough to reach those highest ranks in the service so that we could contribute. That's what we do. That's, that's our whole mission, is to help bring in the talent that we have, that incredible Latino Hispanic talent to make our services better and more representative of the society that we live in. Right now, 20% of the Navy, Marine Corps, is a little higher, but 20% of the Navy itself is Hispanic. Now, most of those are, are in the enlisted ranks, as you know. You know, 
being enlisted is very different than being an officer, right? And the opportunities are limited. Whereas if you can take some of those enlisted folks or take in some young men and women who go to college, right, and bring them in as officers, they, we can develop them into the highest ranks, and then we can see them in our admirals and generals, reflective mm -hmm. of the nation that we serve. Right now, only 9.9% of Navy officers are Hispanic, of Hispanic wow. descent. But that's a problem because 20%, we're leading 20% of the, of the force, which is Hispanic, with 9.9% of the officers. What we don't see, though, is that at the higher rank, that number starts diminishing. Right, over 300 admirals, about 11 are Hispanic at this point. Wow, and that's that's it. that's nothing, right? Why can't our young men and women see the the representation? If they don't see it, they don't believe themselves being there, right? You, you take me for example. I saw myself being a captain of a ship because I I was watching two television shows. Do you know that the first time I figured out it might be a Hispanic admiral, I was already in the Navy about eight to nine years. Wow. And then, it, and then it was one person. And I, I was, wow, wait, where are the Latinos? Can we rise to this rank within the Navy? Today, I can say that the possibilities are better, but they're still in there. You know, and in some, in some cases, we're, we're kind of slipping back, too. I mean, in, in some ways, you know, we had more representation in the 90s uh, or in the early 2000s, it seems like we're slipping back. I do want to congratulate you on your your events, uh, for example. I spoke at your event in Norfolk last year and wasn't able to make it this year, but you just recently had an event in, in Norfolk. Um, tell us about the, the type of information that you share during those events and and who should participate. I, I, I would love everyone to participate in those events. Our events are designed for active duty military folks, enlisted and officers, right? And they're designed so that we bring in our senior ranking Hispanic officers, male, female, from Coast Guard, Navy, and Marine Corps, so that the sailors that are attending and the veterans that are attending these events, because it's also open to veterans, ANSEL members, non-ANSEL members, are, are seeing themselves represented in the higher ranks. And for those of us who are veterans, that we can get that feel that, hey, is there something more that I could be doing? How can I help to professionally develop our young men and women? to help retain them in the service. A lot of folks are leaving at the 0304 level for the officers in the enlisted you know, ranks you know after the first four years, you lose the majority of folks. Why are these young E1 to E3 not staying to become uh, petty officers or non-commissioned officers depending on service, right? And to continue on to being E7, E8, the senior leadership at the enlisted ranks and the senior leadership at the officer rank. What is driving them out? I think it's it's a sense of belonging that's missing. That's what Ansel does. In these conferences, we want everybody who can to participate. We're always looking for great speakers, and it was amazing to have you. I still get where uh, people asking me, when's Danny Morgan's coming back? <laughs> I'm like, next time, next time. I know. Um, it, it, it's just professional development, people like you that are involved in in taking care of veterans, right? These are the folks that we want to come and speak to our to our young men and women, uh, for opportunities, not just within the service, but beyond the service. What happens after, right? And it's always important, and, and I love the mission of ALBA, it's, it's not just developing and helping the folks that are in, it's helping those that get out and how they become successful, right? Because we do have a huge gap in what happens post-service for a lot of Hispanic and Latinos, right, compared to other young men. And I think 
Um, for us, our next event is hopefully going to be in December in San Diego. And if anyone's interested in joining us, and, and just reach out to me, Lloyd, you know, president at ansomil.org. Uh, go to our website, ansomil.org, and look look for our event. Sign up and let us know that you want to come. And we always have room for more. We also want to engage partners to help us with these events. You know they're costly. Right. Anytime mm-hmm. that you put on any symposium, we're trying to do this at minimal cost to our activity folks. Right. Um, and so in that, the way to do that is through sponsorships. So we're o- always open for partnerships and sponsorships to help us with that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's so it, it's it's also open to, to non-Latinos to come and participate and support. We need the allies. Um, we need you know, folks at, at all different ranks to be able to come and participate and support us. Uh, would be great to be able to have as many flag officers as possible come and participate and show, show their support because it's, it, it is, we're all in this together. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Farragut earlier because, you know, among, within the, the ALVA mission, it's to help Latino veterans thrive and to recognize their indispensable contributions. And a great example of that was the first full admiral in the United States Navy during the Civil War. Uh, David Farragut, who said, damn, the torpedoes full speed ahead. Like yeah. you said, people don't know that he's Hispanic. Yeah. And I know we claim him, and the Spaniards might want to claim him later on, but yeah. hey, you know what? He was born here, buddy. Yeah. He is definitely ours. Um, and one, one thing I will say, Danny, is it's important for us not to forget that the le- senior leadership support, like you said, allyship, is essential for this. And at all levels, senior leaders, retired and active duty, what can you do to help get the word out about organizations like this? The feedback that we get after an ANSO event is, oh, my God, I didn't realize we had so many Latinos in the Navy. Well, Secretary Del Toro came to our last event. He spoke on the last day. He's the only the second Hispanic secretary in the Navy, born in Cuba. Like, wow, not born here, born in Cuba, and he's now the secretary of the Navy. And that's incredible. And I had sailors that said, I didn't know we had a Hispanic secretary of the Navy. I love the money, right? But are we getting the word out? Are we helping people see themselves in these senior positions, right? See the possibilities of what they can achieve through the proper networking, the proper connections, the proper development. We're here to mentor. We're here to help you grow professionally. That's what we do. And we do need more people to get involved. I'm always having about the same people show up, mm-hmm. right? I get some new folks. Our conferences are 150 to 300 people. Yes, 60,000 sailors. What am I touching every year if I'm only doing conferences for 150 to 300? We need to right. be able to do more. And I think outreach is key. But outreach happens with support. And that's what we really need. Well, this is this is a good way to do it. What you what you're doing here in this podcast and being able to share that with folks and uh, spread the word far and wide. I think all of our organizations are are looking to make sure that we can have the biggest impact, the biggest uh, difference that we can make uh, possible. And and I really appreciate everything that you're doing. Um, let's take a minute and talk about your sort of post naval service life. You know what you're involved in nowadays. Uh, because I know you're involved in some, some really interesting stuff, and I do want to listen a little bit more about your motorcycle trip to Latin America. Yeah. I, uh, so, you know, I left the service uh, in 21. Um, I was asked by a couple of folks in Anso if I would consider running for the president. It's a, an elected position. It's a completely voluntary, 100% volunteer position. And I said, you know what? I'm going to relax for the next couple of years. I'm not going to do much. I thought I wasn't going to do much. 
<laughs> and, uh, and I said, oh, I'll, do, I'll help with that. So I'll, I was the president of the D.C. chapter at the time. They voted me in as the president. I've been doing it for two years. And I, I got to tell you, man, the reward is, is the work itself. It's the people that you get to connect with. It's, it's seeing our young men and women develop professionally and grow. And then reaching back for advice. Because you cannot succeed in life without any help. We, we don't do this alone. And so that has been extremely rewarding for me. Um, I wanted to start uh, my PhD journey. I applied to a couple of schools, but the University of Southern Mississippi reached out to me. My old master chief from when I was in Excel, who now is the director for the program, <laughs> said, hey, Roy, we would love to have you in our PhD program. And I said, you know, I can't say no to you, master chief. Uh, sign me up. And I signed up with the University of Southern Mississippi, embarked on this PhD program. I threw my first year, my first 18 credits, 4.0 GPA, you know, Navy, uh, puts that in us, right? We have to excel. We have to do well. And right. uh, so I'm having a, a ton of fun with that. Uh, I'll finish my PhD journey here by 2025. Uh, if all goes well, and I continue on that same path. But I did take six months off to travel and uh, go down to the uh, to uh, Central South America. I decided that I was going to embark on this journey of self-discovery and connectedness, right? Trying to connect with the people. So I, I was joking around and I said, okay, let's roll, right? When you, when you ride a motorcycle, you say, let's roll. And I was like, hey, wait, roll, R-A-U-H-L, roll. Let's roll, ride America for, you know, uh, harmony and uh, unity and life. And I was like, right, let's roll, let's do it. Uh, and, and I found that. I found harmony, I found unity, and I found thriving life down there. Man. I mean, the people were incredible and amazing. And it's, it's one thing that has always kind of bugged me. We like to use the word America exclusively for those in North, you know, the United States. You know, in Spanish, they say Estadounidense, right. you know, but there's no United States in Spanish, in English, right. right? We don't translate it to United States. We just go America. America starts in Alaska and ends in all the way down in Chile, Argentina, right? It's right. an entire continent of beautiful, amazing people with incredible potential. And a lot of those folks are coming to the United States. They're looking for better opportunity. And how do we help them, right? If you go down on a trip like this, I did 12,000 miles across 13 countries, Danny. I saw poverty, but I also saw a spirit, determination, strength. It is the Latino community, the Hispanic community that is moving across borders to come to the United States to get a better life for themselves. They're determined, they're hardworking. We need to embrace and accept and help right, in any way that we can. This is the future of our country. Not just the Latinos that are born here, but those that are transiting, coming up through our borders to help make this country better than it is. They're coming to work. They're coming to take those jobs that some of us no longer want to do, right? And they're gonna help this economy thrive if we let them, if we embrace them and accept them. That's what I learned in about four months of traveling the wow. and And I saw the most beautiful sights and went through some of the most incredible places on this planet. Did you have a favorite country? All of them. Uh, I had one least favorite, that's it. But every other, I mean, it was just amazing. The people, the reception that you get, just, I, I can't say, I think I enjoyed Colombia because I spent the most time there, right? Um, being one of the longest countries, I actually had to fly my bike from Panama into uh, Colombia through Bogota. And then I needed to get to the north, so I rode from Bogotá to Barranquilla, and from Barranquilla all the way down to Medellín, and then across to the border. So yeah, I enjoyed it because the Colombians, they were like, 
you're welcome. And oh my yeah. God. Colombia is fantastic. It, it was incredible. Um, I had a great time in Peru as well. I learned so much and drove the entire coast of Peru all the way down with Machu Picchu. Uh, and I tell you, there's there's so much goodness in this world. We, we, we sometimes focus on the negative, but get out there and get to meet people and get to know and see the heart and the spirit. I drive through town sometimes five o'clock in the morning and I see children and people opening businesses at five o'clock in the morning. How often do you see that in the United States anymore? They're literally opening their shops around five, uh, six o'clock in the morning. And uh, it was just amazing. It was an incredible experience and I wish that I could share my journey with everybody. I do have an Instagram page, The Road Eagle. That's my business, the Road Eagle LLC. I do motorcycle rentals, but I do a lot of traveling too. Uh, and I think that it's worthwhile to look at folks that are actually doing this kind of travel mm -hmm. and seeing the world and to, and to really see what life is like and, and understand how blessed we are here because we truly are blessed. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a, that's an incredible journey. And uh, next time I get, we get together, I got to see your pictures on your on your phone. Some of the stuff you can't post. Yeah, no, I know. That. I can post everything. Actually, it's incredible. So, let me go back to your your uh, education piece. You're going for your doctorate degree, so we're gonna have to call you Doctor Love from now on. Not the Captain Love. Not the Captain Love, right? Yeah. Um, but let's talk about education. You 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 went through ROTC uh, when you went to SUNY. Uh, I know that there probably isn't as much. Um, ROTC programs in Hispanic serving institutions, you know, those colleges that have at least 25% Latino uh, matriculation. Um, that's, a, that's an issue, isn't it? I mean, you know, you've got other, you've got other populations that have uh, much more support, much more participation, but we need to do more, don't we? We do. We do need to do more. And now, you know, with this new thing about not taking race into account, right, in, in admissions, I think it's going to hurt us. It's going to hurt us significantly because when you don't, when you start, it's it's form of discrimination, no matter what, which way you look at it, right? Because we do not have the same opportunities that a lot of folks have. And so if you're growing up in an area where you just cannot get the, the education that, that builds the strong study habits and things like that, you may not be able to even apply for some of these schools, right? Who's helping apply? Who's covering apply, application fees and all of that? And if you're not considering the background, the cultural background of someone, you're also limiting yourself, right? In the experiences that that person brings to your campus. Um, it's important to look at cultural backgrounds and to look at where people grow up and things like that. Hispanic serving institutions don't typically have ROTC unit. Mm -hmm. And the ones that do have them, if they're accepting less minorities, less people of color, then there will be less to join those ROTC units. And you know what? The military is a pyramid, right? The, high, the lower ranks always have the most. By the time you get to the higher rank, there's a, a little bit, a few people left. So we lose most all four, all, most people of color around the old three or four, four officers. Mm -hmm. What happens at that point? And if, if let's say you brought in a hundred people initial accession, by the time you get to all four or five, you've lost more than 50%. Now you have less than 50% to compete for the top roles. Right? The only real way to increase that is to increase the number at the bottom so that you have more opportunities, more people left by the time they get to that middle rank. Right. right? And one of the things that I saw in a, a CNA study is that people of color are usually ranked lower 
the junior officers are ranked lower than their right than their counterparts. Uh, which means when you go before a board, a selection board, we're looking at strictly numbers. The selection boards are fairly fair. They're, 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 they do well because they're looking at numbers. If I have a five and you have a 4.9, I'm going to go for the five by 4.9. But if people of color are routinely graded lower at the lower ranks, they're always going to be below. And so you're going to have less people being selected. We need to increase the opportunities for ROTC, for our young men and women, people of color, Hispanic, Blacks, Asian Americans, to be able to compete, right? To remain long enough to compete. That's a critical part of remaining, which is part, you know, ANSO's mission for retention. We want to retain you so that you can compete at those higher levels. But we have to be fair about how people are graded and taken care of below, right? And it's hard when you're in a unit and you're the only one up, right? One or two up. My ROTC unit, um, we graduated maybe two Hispanics out of over 100. Mm. Right? Two, two. I mean, I go back, this is 1993. Uh, there weren't that many Hispanics who want to join ROTC. That's another problem in and of itself. Are Latinos, Hispanics discouraging service? Right? We need to encourage service. We need to encourage our young men and women to serve. And I will tell you, I, I retired 2021. I never have to work again then mm-hmm. because I have a nice pension, right? After 30 years in the service, I really literally don't have to work. I have all my needs met. Uh-huh. Am, I, am I working? I'm working for the sake of working because I want to stay busy and I want to do something and I want to continue to give back in, in many other ways. But I don't have to because I worked long enough and you get a retirement. And a lot of people don't know this, right? They don't really understand how that works. But it takes time. You got to do 20 years to get a retirement check. You got to right. do 20 years to get the 75 percent back then. Those those things are important. We keep telling our young men and women that the military leads to nothing, and you're going to get out of there. And you're not going to have a good job. One is because we haven't been taking care of our veterans, which is something that I know you're trying to remedy, right? Mm-hmm. What happens after service? The other one is misconceptions, misperceptions. Oh, you're going to join the army. You're going to go to war. You're going to die. Right? I was in the Navy 34 years. I volunteered. Four times to go to Iraq and the fourth time they let me go. Right? Otherwise, I would have never seen anything close to coming. Right. So the, the chances right, of something bad happening to you are far lower than the opportunities that you right. get. You know, never mind the leadership and professional development that you get from a few years of service. That's what we need to do to encourage our young men and women to pursue these things. You know, by the way, you want to be an astronaut? What better way than to join one of the service academies, become an officer, go fly a plane, do well enough to be selected? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the way to do it. Not only being an astronaut, but anything else. Medical school, pay for. Nursing school, pay for. All the things. You talk about SUNY Maritime, and you know I have a full ROTC scholarship. I didn't pay for anything in college. And then they sent me to get a master's degree. And oh, by the way, my PhD is being paid for by my GM. That's fantastic. Well, I, you know, I, I, we go back and forth on this, but the, the reality is that we need more of our people stepping up uh, to serve and find those opportunities, but we also need the allies to step up and support us. We also need the infrastructure to make sure that, you know, we have uh, an even playing ground and uh, a hand up. You know, we Absolutely. all remember those times of basic training where somebody just, you know, needed a little bit of help to get over the, over the wall. 
Um, so we, we've got to do all of those things and more. Uh, yeah. And we need to make sure that the, the powers that be, uh, be it Congress or be at the upper levels of the Department of Defense and so forth, are able to hear from us so that uh, we can make sure that they understand that this is not just a nice thing to do. It's a national security imperative. You know, <laughs> Latinos will be 30 percent of the population before too long. So we hope to remain a strong, thriving and vibrant nation. That segment of the population uh, needs to be an important part of of our present and our future. So thank you for everything you've done. Thank you, Danny, for this opportunity. I look forward to uh, working with you again here soon. Excellent. Um, do you have uh, events coming up that you'd like to talk to us about in detail and promote? Okay, so Latina Style is actually holding an event. Uh, and this is an important one because they recognize active duty uh, women in all the services. Uh, and that's coming up uh, September 19th, I believe, right here in Washington, D.C. Uh, go to Latina Style uh, website. And check that out. I think it's important. They're a good partner for uh, his uh, for uh, Hanso and mm -hmm. also for Hispa. We're we're working uh, with you on a mm -hmm. lot of different things, and uh, we look forward to you know seeing the Hispanic Museum just be completed and and helping out in any way that we can um, with Alba for all your events. And then in December, Hanso is going to be looking to host in San Diego their next um, symposium. And then every year after uh, we do our symposium, usually April, May here on the East Coast and then December on the West Coast. So those are our big events that are coming up. Give us your website again. Ansomil.org. Outstanding. A-N-S-O-M-I-L.org. A-N-S-O-M-I-L.org. It's a great website. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share that we haven't touched on? Because I'm going to have one final question for you before we wrap up. Um, I think we touched on a lot of things. I think it's important that we stick together. The Hispanic and Latino community is, is a very multicultural community. But we're all hardworking. We all want the same thing, to, to lead better lives and to help each other. And I think working together is how you get things done. We need to come together stronger to represent better, right? And to support one another better. Great. Um, and then the last question I have for you, what, what piece of advice would you give our listeners who may want to learn from your experience? The, the tidbit of wisdom that you'd like to share in terms of advice. You know, I, I think excellence is, is habit, right? It's not a skill. You're not born excellent. You got to work hard. And in order for me to succeed in the Navy, I had to work hard. And I always say this, I will not leave my place, my city, my ship, my command, my work, any less, but rather better and greater than I found. That means doing at least one thing every day to make things better. Not just for you, but for everyone else. Work for others. Be a servant leader. Roy, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time and look forward to continuing to, to partner with you and work with you. And uh, let's definitely get together soon. Uh, we appreciate all you do. And uh, we look forward to making sure that uh, Ansel continues to, to grow and, and uh, accomplish its important mission. We do. do. Thank you, Danny. And, uh, you know, adelante con Alba, adelante con Ansel. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, everybody, on behalf of the American Latino Veterans Association, I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the content. Please join us for future podcasts and webinars. Uh, please keep an eye out for 
uh, information on our upcoming annual expo and awards event in Washington, D.C. on November 1st. Visit our website at alvavets.org. Uh, thanks again to Roy for being our guest speaker today. Thanks also to our sponsors again uh, for this podcast and our webinars, J.P. Morgan Chase, PMI, Wells Fargo, AT&T, T-Mobile, and Accenture. Thank you all for joining us. And as always, be safe, aim high, and thrive. We'll see you next time. Thanks again.